What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast. In this show, we are joined by Sebastian Godin, CEO and co-founder of the Care Voice. The Care Voice is an up-and-coming company based here in Shanghai that provides a mobile app where patients can rate as well as read and write reviews for medical care providers in China, effectively creating a, a sort of Yelp for healthcare. Sebastian shared with me a number of the things he and his team have learned along their journey, including a unique method he uses to track his team's performance, which I found very interesting. Uh, he does this by identifying correlations between team activity, behavior, or attitude. And corresponding peaks and valleys in overall performance or progress. Next, we speak about his personal journey to entrepreneurship and what circumstances led him to finally make that leap into founding a startup. This is something, of course, an increasing number of people are confronting today, and I think Sebastian provides some really good advice on the subject. Finally, having freshly closed a fundraising round, Sebastian shares with us his fundraising experience and some tips on how to do it successfully, including how much to raise, how to choose investment partners. How long it should take, and much more. There's something in this episode for everyone, so check it out and enjoy. Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition—it's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. All right, Sebastian. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey John, thanks for inviting. So, for those people that aren't familiar with the Care Voice, why don't you get us started with an introduction to the company and to yourself and how you guys ended up、uh, in Shanghai, China, in two thousand fifteen? Okay, so、um, Care Voice actually,、um, let's take an example outside the healthcare industry.、Uh, most of of of、uh, audience may be familiar with、uh, Yelp in the U.S. or Dajun Danping here in、mm -hmm. China. So, if you imagine these kind of services uh, uh, in healthcare, it's what what we are building—a social platform where consumers can、uh, share and rate about their experience、mm -hmm. of medical services and treatment, so that we can help them to find、uh, and get access to、uh, good quality、um, uh, healthcare services and treatment. Right. And how did you? You know, come to be involved in, in something like this. So my, my background is is healthcare.、Um, I used to work in a major pharmaceutical company, Sanofi,、uh, for、uh, at least、uh, over ten years、uh, in different markets like U.S., Mexico, France, and、uh, and China. Actually, I came here、um, as part of the management team of of Sanofi.、Uh, it was、uh, four five years ago,、mm -hmm. and、uh, during my third year. Of、uh, expat assignment,、um, I, I, I identified a few issues, and one of them around lack of trust、uh, from the consumer、mm -hmm. uh, for the healthcare system here, and at the same time、um, a, a larger、um, offering available to them. So、mm -hmm. I decided to set up this this venture. Right. The, the one thing、uh, we'll keep going on the story in a second, but one thing that just popped into my head is I wonder. How life is different now for you, going from having been on an expat assignment, you know, throughout different places throughout the world, but you know, most recently in China, to startup life. I mean, can you comment a little bit on、uh, what your day to day, how your day to day is different than it used to be? Um, actually, um, yeah, it's quite different. It's quite different, but more,、uh, let's say, around the the way.、Uh, I approach the business.、Uh, I think 
in a in large organization you have much more um, planning much more resources mm -hmm. much more steps to get uh, endorsements uh, whereas in a, in a startup you you think uh, and you test and you implement you measure you adapt right uh, it's small scale Things very very small scale quickly, right? uh, uh, indeed in the past we were talking always about um, yeah, at least 500k, 1 million, 2 million USD uh, budget, mm -hmm. whatever uh, activities, programs. And now you're yeah, more like at uh, 20k RMB, 50k <laughs> RMB. <laughs> so, but, but, it, but the excitement is, is, is not, nothing related to, to the size of, of what you're doing. It's mm -hmm. like measuring that you can create value and, 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 and grow something. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, I love it. We talked a little bit before we started recording just about kind of the phenomenon of the growth of the startup industry in general, you know, over the last several years, accelerator programs and all that kind of stuff. But you, you know, w what I'm wondering is what made you decide to take that leap? You know, mm -hmm. as you said, you've been working with Sanofi, a corporate job for a number of years. What was it in you? You know, what can you put some words on that feeling that made you actually take the leap and, you know, all those things involved in making a leap like that, like going away from the comfortable salary and job and benefits and all that kind of stuff and taking the leak, leap into startup entrepreneurship. Can mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. describe that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Interestingly, um, now I am in the startup uh, ecosystem, uh, I really feel what's going on and, and how much um, uh, it is interesting, it's fast, and, and, and there are very good opportunities. And actually, when I was still in a corporate role, I had this uh, early sense of this, but, but it was not at all the, the, the driver. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so actually today it's even better surprise, right? Mm -hmm. So at that time, the, I think I, there were three key ingredients uh, for this jump, because as you said, you, you, you are like in a comfortable position and there is a kind of cliff. Mm -hmm. You don't know where you go, right? Yeah. You, you know that you are jumping, but how is going to sure. be the, the landing? Not an easy decision. Yeah. yeah. So I think the first thing was a trigger, uh, and the trigger was around really the concept of uh, of Care Voice, uh, because I, I think it's really meaningful what we are building, and and there is a financial sustainability of of, of um, this venture mm -hmm. if we if we make it well and 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 we succeed. Uh, so this was really important. It helped me obviously to to take the decision, but I think. Uh, behind that, there were um, a personal background around entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was still a student, uh, like 12 or 14 years ago, I, I, I launched a website at the time to uh, facilitate recruitment of healthcare professionals in, in France, in my own market. 12 years ago? Uh, a bit more like 14, 14 oh, wow. years ago, at, I think at the beginning of internet. Way ahead of But I was time. still a student, uh -huh. and at that time in pharmacy, and I was not yet in business, mm -hmm. and, and so I have no clue about that we were potentially building a company and mm -hmm. I was doing just this as a way to address a need on, 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 um, on the market or sure. where we were. And then when I was in Sanofi over years, I fitted, I think, my, my uh, entrepreneurship uh, interest by launching product, by setting new, new partnership with new companies, mm -hmm. uh, discovering markets or exploring opportunities. So mm -hmm. until I think I found uh, an opportunity in which I wanted to, to make this. And still, I would say it's more personal uh, life aspect of it is uh, we were in China we've been, uh, at that time for three years with my wife. We just got a, a kids or baby coming in. My wife was turning to a corporate role after her first uh, entrepreneurship experience here. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really the right time also because we like, uh, we like to, to, to live here right. and uh, we, we see ourselves staying for, for some time. Right. Because it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And I think it sounds like for you that kind of 
underlying entrepreneurial desire was always there. But you often hear advice from experienced entrepreneurs or from you know people with a lot of experience that it's good to grow your network with, you know, prior to starting a, a, a startup or secure yourself financially prior to starting a startup to a certain degree or getting experience from larger corporations prior to starting a startup so that you have all that experience so the foundation is strong and then you can make that leap. What I want to know from you is, was that a conscious strategy from you? Like you were aware that at some point in the future you wanted to be involved in an entrepreneurial venture, but you knew the value of the network, the experience, a financial base, or was it purely you were kind of just going along and then the care voice emerged as an idea for you to jump on? I think, I think going for setting up my own venture was something uh, I had in mind since I was quite young mm -hmm. of studying and, and and actually, when I ended up my pharmacy degree, I even was uh, returning two different uh, business school programs, and one of it was a pure entrepreneurship program. Mm -hmm. But at that point of time, I decided to go more for, uh, from general business school because I was thinking, okay, I'm not 100% sure I want now to make the, this, this entrepreneur experience. Mm -hmm. uh, healthcare uh, at that time, 15, 10, 15 years ago, was still very conservative, mm -hmm. and most of the opportunities and, and resources were in large uh, organizations. Right. So I was thinking, okay, it's more strategic really uh, wise to uh, to start by going in a in a large organization learn from it so sure. it's uh, the single endpoint uh, i was not thinking at that time of building network or whatever but obviously it it's a strong <laughs> asset once you once you decide to jump so sure. uh, i think part of it was thinking through but i was not ready at that time anyway to go directly for for right. starting a venture and where did the idea for the care voice come from uh, i think by by being foreigner in in a in a market, you are uh, to some extent uh, more curious uh, than in your own market. Also, you look at it with different eyes yeah. than, the, than the local sure. uh, people. Uh, you see some, some gap uh, versus um, other solutions that you may see uh, outside. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think what, I, what struck me was really this trust issue of people for, for, the, for the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. uh, since 2009, the government have, have invested massively to uh, try to catch up mm -hmm. with uh, expectation of any, any um, growing um, uh, um, population with better access to whatever services. And, sure. and so the offering is very large. There are many hospitals, many doctors, many treatment available. Mm -hmm. But you still see a very common problem here that people don't really trust. Everybody goes on the same few places. Uh, when doctors are recommending something, they're going to see another doctor. They don't necessarily trust the treatment which is prescribed to them. Mm -hmm. So this was, I think, a big issue. In the same time, in outside the healthcare, we see a lot of people uh, sharing about whatever they do, uh, much more than in Western countries. Right? Yeah. Uh, the social aspect is, is much stronger. Yeah. So the idea was to say, okay, can we, can we use this peer's opinion uh, as a way to help people to uh, be more confident about uh, mm -hmm. some options for them? It's funny that you know, basically what you're talking about is using the network of people that are online to convey confidence in whatever service or service provider you're talking about, right? And it's it's just peculiar to me that, the like, when, when this sort of technology becomes available, the first things that pop up are like, you know, like you mentioned, Yelp or, you know, relatively trivial uses of this sort of technology and this sort of service, whereas something like what the Care Voice is doing, which is leveraging the network toward you know greater confidence in a medical setting which i would think and i think most people would agree is 
very Im important, maybe paramount, maybe it's the most important usage of such a network, it comes later. You know, I, I find that a peculiar thing, but maybe it's telling about what we humans actually care about and more so than what we intellectually think we should be caring about. Yeah, and, and again, according to, different, to the markets, but even in, in, in some more mature markets where the healthcare system is maybe more in place with better quality, you start to observe uh, a reverse phenomena where people start to feel, hey, but we, we, we tended to believe that uh, medical providers, doctors were you know, on the top and we can trust everything. But mm -hmm. actually now more and more the consumer have access to information. They are sometimes even better, uh, more knowledgeable than uh, their doctor or, yeah. or they have obviously different, uh, uh, broader perspective. So in that context, people are, and consumerization of healthcare is something that is, is, is growing. And, yeah. and, uh, and so I think there is a trend now around the healthcare that was not maybe a couple of years uh, before like for other more uh, daily consumption sure, sure. goods or services. Yeah. And is this something that, you know, doctors, healthcare providers, hospitals are generally happy to see emerge? Or is it something that may shed unwanted light on their services or their people? I think overall, um, there is, and let's talk about China. Let's, let's, sure. let's be specific to, to the market where we are putting our efforts. Um, general, um, Position is okay. Um, they 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 see this as a trend anyway that consumers go online seek information. Right. Um, and then what is interesting is according to the kind of medical provider, you're not going to have the same response. So obviously, if you go for private uh, institutions, mm -hmm. they are the first one to say, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, we they are trying to build confidence among population to mm -hmm. go for better service different from from the public setting yeah. but obviously it's it's a higher price and you know china is very sensitive to price you know it's a value for money and, sure, so, sure. So, and so and so on so they are uh, interested to build the confidence of people by showing how patients can be satisfied and well managed in their in their facilities mm -hmm. and then if you go to on the opposite, let's say uh, a, a big um, a class three hospital which is a bit the highest certification in shanghai uh, highly specialized, let's say, Huashan um, and, and, and for dermatology, which is their, their top, top specialty. Mm -hmm. They have so many patients there. Um, you know, doing this kind, of, they, they don't really mind about the reputation because they are nationally recognized as top hospital. Right. Um, they are struggling maybe to try to better uh, manage this flow of patients, but, but not much caring mm -hmm. uh, frontline for that. So you, you can see, you know, opposite and in the middle, you're going to have some uh, institutions who really have still a lack of demand. So they do this as a way to promote themselves, mm -hmm. showing their good care and right. differentiating from others. Uh, you have also some, uh, interestingly, um, some, uh, some medical professionals that see the challenge of the relationship with patients. And we see it in the newspaper, sometimes some acute crisis, you know, the patients are, are going after the doctor. So if they, if they start to show themselves as much more in a listening attitude to the, doc, to the, to the patients, mm -hmm helping this relationship is also something that they are interested in yeah. and see how they can continuously improve the, the quality uh, right. from patient's feedback. And when you say it, it, it's of interest to people that are trying to generate more demand for their services, I presume that's private hospitals, right? Because in, in China, my experience has been that public hospitals are just overwhelmed with, with patients. So right? it, it's, yeah, it's obviously true f and very true for private, but even in public hospitals now, um, you know, any, any of these big name of hospitals, of public one, Huashan, uh, uh, Regin, uh, they are building sisters hospital. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have three, four 
related hospital right. also uh, across across the city, which where uh, they still have to send to to bring up patients. If if you go in one of those big hospitals, according to the department, they are maybe not the most famous department. Uh, uh, hospital for this specialty. Mm -hmm. So in this kind of case, they also still have interest to bring in more patients. You, if you go in some hospitals of those big names on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you see that the, the number of patients queuing for some services, not all services, obviously, but, but maybe the less famous uh, in bracket mm -hmm. services um, for this hospital, you still have um, need for demand. Right. And is this something like would, would the I presume most of the users of the Care Voice are locals at the moment, or what's your breakdown between? Yeah, ninety-five percent local. Yeah, local. The, the platform was only Chinese until like a few months ago, right. uh, and we developed the English setting only because some hospitals, some insurance companies with who work have both population that treat uh, foreigners and Chinese. Right, and so, do you speak Chinese? Uh, I can speak. In, I can. I can speak. Um, let's say Chinese for daily life, right, and right. even in some professional uh, um, uh, situation. Right. But I'm not fluent. So, what kind of a challenge was it for you to develop an app, which I presume of this complexity is difficult enough, but to do so in a foreign language? Uh, you have multiple uh, challenges. You have a, a challenge which is around. Uh, um, competitive landscape and um, and internet or mobile user uh, behavior, which mm -hmm. are more specific to China. So mm -hmm. you have to enter into these two dimensions. Yeah. Uh, and then when it, when when really uh, you have the, your product, which is which is starting to uh, to be uh, conceived and, and developed, then it's more like uh, let's say quality control. Mm -hmm. uh, and same with with the user generated content we have is also. This uh, quality control dimension, which are which are uh, challenge when you are not able to uh, read uh, fluently. Right, yeah. right. And are there along that same kind of line? Are there any? My, my observation of the Chinese technology market and entrepreneurs in China is that you know, and th I think they've gotten a, maybe a bad rap in the past because they've typically maybe copied uh, concepts and rolled them out here. But I think what's beginning to emerge is that those copies are now becoming even better than the predecessors or the things that they've copied maybe in the West or anywhere else in the world. Um, but my observation is that things, development happens so fast here. You know, when a, when a, a Chinese startup or a large Chinese tech uh, property gets involved in something, I mean, it just seems to develop so fast and they onboard users so fast. I mean, it's amazing. Is there any competition for the care voice in china from a local startup so we yeah i think we see um there are different ways to address this need of, of the consumers right mm -hmm. uh, helping them to navigate among the healthcare uh, services and treatment and find out which one can be good mm. um, what happened in china is the the first players who started to be more specialized uh, in healthcare so going out of pure information provider mm -hmm. Uh, came in the service of um, doctor consultation, doctor remote consultation, mm -hmm. because of the challenge to consult a doctor in a top institution with this uh, waiting time and huge number of, of patients there right. and very short consultation. So there are a few platforms where you can either uh, trigger a phone consultation with the doctor mm -hmm. or start to have question and answer um, uh, principle. So access, basically, to access, to and and so in that obviously in that setting, you're gonna have a list of hospital, list of doctors, sometimes comments 
uh, about the doctors from those interactions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but they're really here to address this uh, access and, and consultation remotely with a sample of hospital and doctors who are offering this service. Right. right. So this is one area where we see, and there have been lots of, of uh, co uh, companies, and, and I would say most of the, of the healthcare startups are, are working in this to try to do differently first versus the first ones who came here like maybe a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so really focusing on the evaluation from a patient's perspective, we are, we, we, we are the first one. Uh, we have now uh, a number two. Uh, actually, we, uh, there is another company uh, that, is, that launched uh, maybe uh, one year after us, like mm -hmm. a, few, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's uh, clearly an area of interest. And, and you were mentioning the large uh, tech companies, for instance, Alibaba is setting up um, a whole platform to support um, hospitals and, and obviously at the end consumers. Of course, uh, yeah. patient evaluation is uh, a component of what they want to bring in right. the platform. So right. then, yeah, is whether if you do a holistic platform, mm -hmm. is it the way to go? Or if you are more like uh, uh, also uh, focused on one area, yeah. uh, it's you create more engagement of the people on this. So and, and when listen. you see, and this could apply to any startup, but obviously specific to the care voice, when you see either local uh, startups enter the market and become competitors, or you hear of huge properties like Alibaba coming in and having intentions to disrupt the space and bring together all these great services, does that change anything about what you guys do, your strategy, how you think and feel about the business? I think it just reinforces the... The, um, the decision or, or all the strategic directions we took, mm -hmm. uh, which were to uh, go in, uh, in one segment of the market, which is more the higher tier of the market, mm -hmm. where uh, we may be able to bring in more uh, business partners also, which are uh, like aiming to address those um, growing higher tier, mm -hmm. higher social categories population. Right. Uh, and to continue to create more value to, to our user base uh, differently from, from those more mass market mm -hmm. um, volume uh, approach. Yeah. And I think this is where, um, yeah, we, are, we, are, we have better strengths. And at one point, we may create also a value for maybe partnering with any of these players. Right, right. And in this market, how do you attract users? You know, like how do you attract those local users as a startup in, mm. this, in this industry? So because we had the need to get the content at first from users, uh, it was really important to find uh, marketing strategies where we can uh, get contributors quickly on the platform, on board on the platform. Uh, so we, we tried to figure out different ways. Um, obviously, if you start to go on, on social media, because it takes time to raise uh, uh, awareness, credibility of your platform, to get enough followers. This doesn't translate quickly into, a, right. into a users and, and content from them. Yeah. So we, what worked pretty well was to uh, go offline um, and especially to go where patients or where pa consumers are and where they're consuming medical services mm -hmm. or treatment. So mm -hmm. having a um, team uh, on the ground, nearby hospitals, starting to engage them, explain them what we are building, the platform, mm -hmm. uh, wow. joining the platform and sharing content has been quite, uh, quite successful. So you must have done or be, have, or be doing a lot of that type of stuff, right? Because I imagine to really get the numbers you need, you'd have to shake a lot of hands and you know, speak to a lot of people and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, but I, I, I think as soon as you go in area where people are consuming healthcare, they know they, they experience the care. So it's it's quite easy. They are very, um, let's say, captive. Mm -hmm. you, you, you come with something which resonates to them. So right, right. we can engage them quite, quite easily. Then one challenge is that we were focusing on one population. So then you don't want anyone to join mm -hmm. uh, the platform. So it, you should still um, train your own team to go and, 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 and target the right uh, the right consumers and, and get them involved. So then you are more filtering than what really you can get on, on the ground. Right, right. And as we know, in, in China, there's a bias toward, in many industries and for many types of products and services, there's a bias toward foreign products and services. I think because there's a large safety and trust uh, issue with the Chinese consumer, mm -hmm. right? So whether it's baby formula or whether it's soap or whether it's whatever, there, there, there's a strong bias toward foreign products in many cases. Being a foreign-founded startup, is there any bias, positive or negative, towards the care voice? Do you think from your users? Yeah, actually, we, we don't play so much uh, for now. This uh, foreign-founded uh, team, mm -hmm. I think uh, all what we do is is really uh, Chinese and localized. Um, but because of the consumer target, we are uh, putting more efforts on, and so obviously they have an interest for qualitative. Uh, services and mm -hmm. treatment and foreign uh, origin in origin mm -hmm. so for instance uh yeah we work with a couple of medical institutions uh who are gonna have maybe more um uh, recognition from, from on that side yeah or the first online pharmacy with who we partnered for uh ordering whatever prescription or otc treatments mm -hmm. is a foreign um pharmacy specialized company and species have imported products as as as, as a core of their mm -hmm. offer mm -hmm. yeah. and speaking of of monetization at the moment the service you provide is free right so the platform is for for free to the user to review um, and to read the profiles yeah, to access the content search whatever uh, hospital doctors and treatment yeah. uh, if they start to uh, get an appointment with a private institution or uh, order uh, a treatment online then we we have a commission based right um, but for for user and it will stay f mostly free uh, for user over time uh, the the model is more on, on the b side right. uh, helping uh, medical providers service providers to manage actively their reputation and, and drive more patients to um, to them. Okay. So so the, the platform is free, but patients can actually book appointments through the app? Is that what you're saying? So we start with some private institutions. Uh -huh. yeah. it's, it's heavily regulated uh, appointment, uh, especially on the, on the public setting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult to implement because you need to connect with the IT system of the hospital. Right. We see this market as mostly now... Um, uh, approach or tackled by uh, um, government-backed uh, companies or and it's going to be quite fragmented yeah. uh, quite fragmented so actually you can then partner with any of these of these uh, service providers and and refer the patients to uh, to those providers right so what what's say again what's the largest source of revenue for the care voice right the now? first one is going to be uh no, right now it's very small actually and because right. we need to build uh, a large user, user base, base. so uh, that's still the phase you guys are in kind yeah, of free exactly. revenue we have some revenues we yeah. are post revenue yeah. uh we have already some some of our consumers who order some treatment online for instance mm -hmm. uh, that generated the commission for us yeah and uh, so this is one, and 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 then obviously sponsored content when you have larger base of of, uh, of users. So for now, 
the, um, we give opportunities to some medical institutions or um, treatments to use the platform as a way to generate or post content mm -hmm. and it's which is sponsored content uh, but this we do it for free for now because our user base is not uh, big enough right. but obviously it's also uh, some value for for our user yeah and later on we have uh, obviously with a larger base of users this would be a uh, another source of revenues right mm -hmm. right now the, the care voice i mean as far as i know especially in this market it's quite a unique uh, service but around the world there's a lot of really interesting things happening with in the medical industry, you know, so whether it's reviews on doctors and hospitals or whether it's the sharing of treatment protocols among patients so that, you know, everyone can see what kind of treatments are more effective for different illnesses and diseases, or whether it's doctors having an app to share between themselves what kind of patients they're seeing and treatments they're prescribing. I mean, there's so much going on. And then, of course, you've got the high level, like, X prize stuff where they want to figure out a way to diagnose X, Y, and Z in 10 minutes on your iPhone or something, you know. There seems to be a lot going on in this space, and for me, it's it's incredibly exciting. I mean, I really, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very involved in the wellness industry, um, and I find, you know, I, I think it's a very, on an altruistic level, it's great to have these things emerge because I think we all recognize to some degree that the medical system around the world is antiquated at best and extremely problematic at, at worst. So it's, it's great to see that all these different nodes around the world are contributing to making that better. And this is a long way around asking the question, does that make it, you know, all this hype around what's the disruption, shall we say, of the medical industry through technology, how does that impact how you guys are able to uh, attract investors and raise funds for your business? You know, is there a lot, of, a lot of hype and a lot of interest in what you're doing, especially in such a big market, or is it still a very difficult process? No, I think healthcare definitely is a very hot market. Um, mm. Over the last, um, no, in in US, it's uh, it's huge, right? The number of, of startups who are uh, who've now have passed the step of startups and being very significant players. Yeah. Um, and and in China, I would say in the last when we started, like or when I started to look at it, like two years and a half ago, it was I think still quite quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, but the last eighteen months, it has been really pushed very, very, very strongly. And, and uh, uh, we started to hear the large transactions, large players coming in, mm -hmm. uh, many uh, people with healthcare background moving out from from, uh, from uh, pharma or device industry and, and, and start to see how they can they can jump into this wave. So, mm -hmm. so I think this is very good, uh, a very, very good environment. And, and, and investors obviously has, and depending on the investors, but healthcare is one, one, one segment in which they are looking very actively. Right, right. Uh, but so far, I think all say that the project are quite early stage. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's good also to some extent because you it mean that, uh, yeah, we need to create to show to show, to show the value and and bring the confidence of the investors because it's a it's a conservative uh, industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so the disruption may not take you know like this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's very good environment and at the same time. Uh, you have to show you know well the healthcare system, the mm -hmm. way it works, the way to engage with different partners, and yeah. it's one of the strengths of our startup. Sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in July you guys raised a pre-A round. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And was that round raised f through local investors or foreign offices 
uh, of foreign firms or local offices of foreign firms? Or so this round has been done with Business Angel. Mm -hmm. So it's our first round with professional investors. Mm -hmm. Before that was more like um, close connections. Family friends yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. Uh, we actually we had an offer from a from a local investor, uh, and we didn't manage to get uh, uh, a line on, on the term of the offer. So mm -hmm. we preferred to uh, go for uh, an alternative options where it's mostly uh, successful entrepreneurs, um, local fan based here mm -hmm. and in Europe uh, that went to support decided to uh, to participate in the round. Right. And how? How much did you have to fundraise? Like, did you have to pitch a, a large number of investors, or did you have the, the right network? So it was only a couple hops here and there to, to speak to the right people. What was it like? It took us like six to six, six months, roughly. Um, and in terms of, of volume, it's difficult to say, but but I would say we learned a lot through the process because it was the first time really to go uh, and see and we didn't know if we, we would go for and if we were at the right time for going for more venture capitalists mm -hmm. or more uh, angel investors yeah um, so at, and and at early quite early in in the process we had a, a first offer but then it was also difficult to uh, to get it done and mm -hmm. and and, uh, and to get the final ban uh, binding commitment on it so so it took us a bit of time, but I think any any uh, uh, fundraising is at, at least six months. At least right. now is a, a key learning, right. and it's good uh, at early stage to uh, leverage a lot the people who uh, work in your industry uh, or who are knowledgeable about this industry because it's easier for them to quickly figure out where you come from, what you are building. Mm -hmm. um, this was one important learning, and also leverage network of networks. So sure. And why the why raise? You know when when you fundraising when you're thinking about starting fundraising um as a startup what's the deciding factor for raising a pre-a round you know for an, another seed round or an angel round versus going right to a series a round is it a matter like, how do you make that decision is it where the the company is driven is by it's driven by your funding need right mm -hmm. so whether you need uh, and you are ready for getting uh, one to a million usd or if you don't know if you don't need it yet right mm. right away right uh so for instance one of the and and uh, the local investors that we turned down was 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 offering more mm -hmm. and was even ready to offer much more mm -hmm. but if you take it too early uh first you did it yourself mm -hmm. um and uh and second you need to take the money when when you need it right so right but in the same time, you need to have sufficient cash so that you don't go and, and raise again yeah. too, too quickly. So is, it, is that a, you know, because I know a lot of entre entrepreneurs are listening and they're, this question is, is a big question for a lot of people. You know, when, when the time comes, how much to raise, how much equity to give away, you know, all these mm -hmm. different considerations. You can consult all the books and speak to all the people you can, but it's, it's still, I would imagine, a difficult decision to make. So when you have a local investor like that offer you a, a large sum, is it difficult to turn down or was it very clear that, you know, because I, I would think that the, the extra amount of, of capital that they're offering you makes you think, oh, I could do, I could do so much. We could accelerate what we're doing. We could do so much more with this. So is it, is it challenging to turn it down or were you certain that this was not the right amount for you at this time? You know, you can, you can accept it provided that you find uh, common grounds on the terms behind mm -hmm. it, right? And mm -hmm. you can always phase your cash if someone is ready to give you two, three million dollars right now. Mm -hmm. You can say okay, but actually I will activate it. You know, uh, I don't know, six months down the road when right. we reach 
this yeah. uh, this milestone. So what is important is to know um, maybe what is your standalone uh, plan mm -hmm. or base plan, uh, what you have to deliver in the next 12 to 18 months, which is usually the period on which you need to get funding mm -hmm. um, appropriately. And then if you have the opportunity to, to get more is how what you can do to accelerate, which could be great, right? If you can uh, uh, go, go faster, uh, but you need to make sure that you have the, 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 the solid foundation for that. Yeah. And is it, is it challenging in terms of how much time it takes away from the operations of the business when you are raising money? Is that an issue for you? Because uh, in the past, I've heard from certain entrepreneurs that when you're fundraising, you can't do much else. Very challenging. Very challenging. Yeah. So, so you are very happy as soon as you can get out of it and be back on the full time on the business. Yeah. And when you're looking for partners and investors, again, you mentioned the, the, the local investor, the offer you got from a local investor. What do you look for? I mean, obviously you're looking for capital, but are you, are you, look, you, know, are you looking for strategic networks? Are you looking for alignment in you know, philosophy and altruism? Or what, what, what are the main variables that you look for in an investor and what may help you decide yes or no, all things being equal in terms mm. of the, the money they're offering? I think first you should have a, a, a full alignment on, on the vision of the company mm -hmm. and what you want to build. It's yeah. critical. Uh, two is uh, the values. So this can be reflected in the way you engage with the investor, the way you discuss uh, you where you get feedback, right. uh, what kind of vibe you get from them. Yeah, right. exactly. And to be, uh, yeah, and align with the, the, with the value of the team here, mm -hmm. uh, very straightforward, very transparent, um, constructive, um, such kind of things. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And beside that, then third is how they can help you for the business beside, beside cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in our sector, uh, obviously getting some connection with the healthcare mm -hmm. um, offers like public system, government backed uh, healthcare institution mm -hmm. uh, are important components. Could be also with media because we, for any startup sure, getting sure. connection with media is, yeah. uh, is good to help you uh, grow. Yeah. And then pure internet um, uh, experience, successful experience mm -hmm. also. All things being equal, is there a preference to have foreign investors versus local investors? Mm, no, 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 uh, no specific. Um, no, I think uh, we are obviously open to, to work with uh, Chinese or, or foreigners. Right, right. As soon as they, they know the market here and then we are on the same page for strategy, value and, and what they can, how they can help us. Right, right. So, so you raised in July. So this gives you about a 12 to 18 month mm. runway to put your head down and work, right? Yes. That, yeah. But actually, you need to work before that because you oh, need sure. to get the funding. Yeah, you, you can never stop. But. Yeah, and, no, no, but I mean, to get, to get funding, uh, to get your funding mm -hmm. effective, you need to, uh, to start earlier. But we think that we, actually, we don't need to wait so, so long. Mm -hmm. We were just at a phase where we had the need to accelerate um, our growth. We have, uh, I think, a certain level of foundation now, mm -hmm. and we can use it to accelerate, and especially here in, on the local market in Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, and I guess within the next uh, six to nine months, we'll have offers for, uh, for Aaron. Right. And what's it like, I presume, how many of your staff are local Chinese? We are two foreigners and all the team is uh, local Chinese. So can you tell us a bit about that experience? Just, you know, obviously you've worked with, I presume at Sanofi you had, you know, Chinese staff as well. But, you know, for those listening that are, going down the same road, you know, what kind of things should you be mindful of when working with local staff, if any? 
I think since I, since I arrived in China, I've been quite lucky. Uh, I, I hear a lot around me uh, from foreigners now that sometimes they have they are struggling with working with local teams. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I had the chance in both experience to set up my own team, more or less. And mm-hmm. so lucky, I think I had one or two people when I started, and, and we ended up at 15 guys mm-hmm. in the team. And, and here, uh, more or less the same. So, yeah, so it means that you you are when as soon as you are building something uh from scratch and you involve the the team to and and, and into buying or, or 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 even to to feed this uh this venture or mm-hmm. this uh, this new initiative uh, yeah everybody is, is is engaged and then the, the big value in a, in a startup is it's a very small uh environment so you quickly get um, trust mm-hmm. uh, between the team members and mm-hmm. everybody is helping each other and, and wants to uh, wants to move. So I think it's it's make it much yeah I think different from what you may hear sometimes where where you have foreigners taking teams and and at the beginning they may they right. have some challenges. Because I think a lot of a lot of anguish or a lot of frustration comes from a mismatch between what your expectations might be and what the reality is, right? And I think at least I've heard a lot of stories as I'm sure you have as well where the expectations didn't match the reality. So though things have been, you've been relatively luck, lucky in this regard, are there any you know, things that you would suggest to entrepreneurs that might be coming to China to get involved in a, in a startup in terms of managing their expectations about working with Chinese coworkers or staff or employees? I think definitely uh, being transparent uh, quickly, uh, sharing what's happening, uh, you need to put everybody everybody on board right everybody on the same level of information mm-hmm. and, and and create this, this this trust so that then you can say whatever things to people you can tell them what is good and maybe what are gap versus your expectation and obviously the the, the, lo- the level of of uh, sophistication sometimes is not necessarily at, at, at what you are used to in other market or mature uh, mm-hmm. with more mature teams uh, but people are very uh, engaged, energetic. They want to do so. As soon as you you create this uh, good environment, then you can have very easily feedback with people and 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 help everybody to uh, uh, to deliver more and with with better better results. So right. I think this is the most important. Right. And another another aspect of well, another aspect other than the the employees and staff is. Are there anything specific to China? You know, you decided to start up in China because you were here with the corporation already and you saw the opportunity and all, all that kind of stuff. But are there any significant roadblocks, mental or physical, you know, so again, down to these expectations, what to expect, that you could share with people that might prepare them better for operating a business in China? Because I'm sure it's very different from operating a business in other markets that they might be in right now. I think if the people, one important, um, uh, I think, um, potential roadblocker is around the uh, the uh, how to formulate it. It's, it's the fact that you may believe at the beginning that uh, the the rules are unclear. You don't know exactly how to to operate or what you should do, what you cannot do, just from a legal administrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, standpoint and, and how it can impact your, your, your business stability. Um, but then as soon as you say, okay, maybe 
it's it's a bit complicated whatever but let's let's try and do it just avoid let's just put this 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 challenge aside and just go directly to our um to our consumer create a product see how it's how it responds mm -hmm. to some extent take advantage of this gray uh zone to right. start to operate uh, bring in people you don't have yet a, a contract, but you still bring in the people. Uh -huh. uh, you, you don't have yet a license, but you still operate. Uh, this is part of, of because otherwise you may start to struggle and spend too much effort in in trying to solve problems which are anyway not really uh, solvable. Right. Uh, and you can solve or, or put it aside and, and solve right. it later. So you're kind of saying, don't be too concerned about doing everything by the book initially or having to know exactly how things are supposed to be done because China still remains to be a bit of a gray market or mm. a gray at in least certain at, areas. At the very right? beginning, when you, when you are under radar, right? you are a startup, you yeah. are under the radar, so you can, um, and, and you should take the opportunity to go the faster to, your, to, 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 to the market, to your, to your client, yeah. and, and not with a fully finished product, but you know, you start to engage with them and, uh, yeah, and yeah. build with them. Another one of the things I'm, I'm very interested in and I speak with a lot of guests and other entrepreneurs about is the personal side of being involved in a startup. You know, because, and I, I mentioned this a lot, probably too much, but the, and we spoke about it at the beginning of the show, the kind of phenomenon of the startup ecosystem, you know, over the last five or even 10 years, you know, how it's, it's such a draw for young entrepreneurs and even older entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs of all kinds, you know, that the ability to come and start up a company and now the infrastructure, te technological infrastructure is becoming so much more available so the, the cost to entry are, are lower than they used to be and it's, it's a very attractive and in the startup news you hear about all the great things that are happening and people making money and IPOing and selling out. But that doesn't tell the story of the thousands, perhaps millions of entrepreneurs that are involved in these things and that on a daily basis are dealing with stress, uncertainty, anxiety, and all the other things that come with operating a business. So, and, and, and I think in Sh and doing so in a foreign country represents a completely different dynamic as well. I mean, doing it in your home country where the culture you understand, everything is normal, all the things you grew up with are still there, versus coming to a, not only a foreign country, but let's be honest, coming to China, which is a very different foreign country from even other foreign countries. It's not like if you're from France and you go to the U.S., I mean, you more or less can, can adapt and understand the culture. But here, there are so many things that can throw you off. And I share your opinion. I really like it here, but it, it doesn't change the fact that China is a bit quirky. So on a personal level, how do you, how do, you know, what do you do, if anything, personally to stay on your game, like to stay focused, mm. to stay balanced, to not, you know, stress out too much? Do you do anything in particular yeah, or I, approach I, it with any kind of mindset? Yeah, I'm going to address your, your question right away. I think mm -hmm. just one comment on, on the background you shared. Yes, you can start your venture in your own home country, mm -hmm. but then you, you're going to have also um, limitation because you have already some preconceived ideas mm -hmm. because you know so well the market yeah. uh, or you, you believe you know so well the market that mm -hmm. you may take some decision and, and, and think too easily with respect to what you do. So. Mm -hmm. I think also to some extent being in a market where uh, you're more on a white page, mm -hmm. not fully, you should not never start with fully white page, but at least when you, when you know and you acknowledge uh, deeply that you have to go and get 
um, the right insight and, and find the opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, you have it's always the double sword, right? You sure. have lots of advantage of it. And you've got to, I mean, when you come to a foreign market, like you said earlier, you see it differently than the people that are here. And, and again, in fewer places, is that more true than China, I would assume? Like, we can come here and we can clearly see certain things that are going on that perhaps, you know, a local person... Mm -hmm. It's always been part and of it. And we won't see necessarily in our own, own market. Right, exactly. So, exactly. Uh, and then you can be also perceived as a foreigner here with, as, as a strength, right? So from, again, from an investor standpoint, they usually see it more as, as a weakness until you, you make your, your sufficient uh, evidence of right. your, of your ability uh, to go to market or mm -hmm. to drive a, a local team. Yeah. Uh, but you have still some advantage of, of approaching stakeholders because you are foreigners. They're going to hear you differently. They're going to think, oh, maybe they have a uh, kind of innovation behind mm -hmm. something new. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are some advantages. But obviously, it doesn't prevent the fact that you go through hard time for any uh, entrepreneur experience mm -hmm. and, and being in China or elsewhere. So on my side, I like to, from time to time, to assess on the scale uh, zero to 100% my level of uh, confidence uh -huh. on, the, on, the, on the business yeah. and also discuss it with some of the team members, uh -huh. uh, you know, openly where, where, where we stand. Uh -huh. uh, it's always good and then to, to think back about the last phase, right? The last three months, the last six months, the last nine months and when, what happened to make it change. Uh, okay. I mean, so you look back and say we were really confident then and this is where the business was at. This is what happened during that time. And we were yeah. really low confidence. And it's not the weeds could be high, right, high right. as a person. And, and, and sometimes and someone else in the team member right. may have a different perception of, of when, when he had these. And how that might have impacted other team members or the company. Or exactly. Yeah. So I think it's good to, it's something that I, I, I like to do. And I, I started to do it only since I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then obviously you, you compensate or any, any big risk, any big challenge you foresee or any, any difficulties by looking at, at what's good out there, right? Why, mm -hmm. why we are doing it? Why are there, why are the opportunities? What are the good results that you, so you concentrate on, on, on what's good and, right. uh, and the opportunities for the business. And, uh, and another aspect of it is to, uh, uh, to think back about why you do this. And, and one some component is also uh, what you build with your, um, uh, with your shareholders, with the first investors who trusted you, mm -hmm. and uh, with your team, with your partners. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people who have been the first one on board uh, and, and step by step continues joining you, are a very strong, I uh, think, um, source of, of confidence and energy for continuing to, to build something. Yeah. So thinking back also of this and, 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 and nurture it, right? So yeah, because I, I like to have these discussions and I, I had a discussion with a friend of mine recently who's also in the healthcare space. And because it's something I, I, I think about a lot and I wonder, you know, from an entrepreneur's perspective where every day there's so much uncertainty, every day there's, I'm sure, plenty of reasons to say, oh, this isn't working or, you know, my motivation, my inner motivation is waning or there's doubt or, you know, and you've got to keep things pushing forward and keep the team alive. And I, uh, he had a, an, a, an answer that is not super motivational. You know, it's not an inspiring answer, but I found it to be uh, truthful. You know, I, I, could see, I could see the truth in it. And he basically said, you know, and, and he'd been working on something for eight years, and it was coming together, and it's still coming to fruition. But he had anticipated it to be like one or two years, and it's been eight years. And he said, you know, at a certain point, I realized, I mean, I did want to give up. You know, I, I, I wanted to close the doors. This was just too much, not what I expected, too much time, too much work, too much stress. 
you know, so I let, I let go of my own inner motivation for this thing a long time ago. I'm, but I, I had the obligation, as you just mentioned, to my stakeholders, to my shareholders, to the people that had invested in me. And I, you know, I didn't want to let them down, you know, for personal reasons and also for financial and legal reasons. So, you know, and that the reason why I say that is because he, he, by his own admission, that allowed him to stop stressing about should I, shouldn't I, you know, that inner battle, that inner conflict that can sometimes emerge because it was irrelevant now because he had decided that, you know, his motivation, the reason why he was going to push this to the end was for those external reasons. Mm. And I found that interesting because it, it's not like that inspiring, oh, you know, remember why you got into this because you're super passionate, you want to change the world. It's like, ah, if I, I, I don't... Yeah, I, it's I, my job, I yeah. have some duties, I have some obligation. Exactly, I yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I, I guess depending on how many years you have been uh, fighting for yeah. um, and how much each time you, 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 you found... Uh, strong motivation in, you, in, in what you're doing, mm -hmm. but I'm, I, I'm not uh, at this stage. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we. I think one, one important yourself. aspect of it, because you were saying this inner battle about should I stop or whatever. I think it's something that you you know as a startup you may have some t you, you may f know that maybe in three months six months there is a big step right, mm -hmm. and if you don't get this done or if you don't go through it then it's going to be much more complicated. Mm -hmm. So it's always important to set what is the next one, when, when does it come, and, and have clear work, work, work on, on this until you reach them. And hopefully you have done what is necessary to pass and, and go through it. Right. So, so that you, during that period of time, you don't wonder yourself, right? You just yeah. like, you may have, you may, you don't wonder yourself about what if I fail or whatever, you just like, we have to do things. Yeah. But then you, f you f still face some motivational challenge or some, some, some pressure. And here, uh, you should find ways to, uh, to create your own, you know. And on my side, I like yeah, using the team, getting their feedback, as I was saying, to self-evaluation. You know, just by saying things, then people are more like getting back to, okay, that's fine. Uh, it can be more difficult now, but great. We're going to do this and we're going to make it uh, with what we have in, 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 in our pipe. So. Yeah, that's an interesting strategy. Um, but for in terms of your experience, again, again on the personal side of things, are there any is there any advice you can give to would be entrepreneurs, would be startup founders, and this can be you know in terms of exercise or you know a certain financial situation before you do it. But is there any you know from the experience you've had up to this point, you know two or three pieces of advice which you would give to the you know a would be entrepreneur to say, you know this is not a must do, but Maybe consider this might this might help you on your way. Mm. No, I can just say what what helped me, and and I think one is um, secure your family plan, or, or make sure that there is uh, a clear, a common alignment also on the family side or personal side. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're on your own, um, just secure. You know what do you need if everything crash, right? Yeah. <laughs> to I don't know, get, get your flight Eat. ticket, flight <laughs> ticket to go back uh, wherever you you have to go back or uh, find a new job. That yeah, you know, if you just think what is the worst thing if I crash? Okay, yeah. I get a new job in a corporate, uh, in large corporation. I get whatever X, uh, K, uh, and and you know at least what, and then it's easy. It right? Takes you a lot of the stress off failing, yeah. right? But but I think making sure that you're aligned also with with family side because when you are running your your, your venture, it's stressful. It's very engaging. Mm -hmm. 
and and so obviously it makes some challenge in in the ability to manage also your personal yeah. uh, life so i like one one uh one uh entrepreneur who is chairing um entrepreneurship now um school in spain called ie uh is a famous banker and then moved from different uh jobs I don't, I don't remember his name but he was he, he did a thesis after all that carry path around um you know how the the the, the entrepreneurs are what, what are their mindset is there any pre requisite or pre right. uh, predictive factor of, of that you're gonna be an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and he was looking at he was saying what the typical life of of uh, of an entrepreneur and drawing this uh, from a professional side you know it's only like circle and and, and troublesome uh, lines and blah, blah blah and what is a personal life is, is a single line very very flat uh -huh. so meaning at the end that you may have to uh, keep it the easiest as possible on your personal side like uh, uh, daily routine mm -hmm. uh, go early for like uh, wake up uh, since I'm an entrepreneur I wake up every day at six uh -huh. uh, I have my routine in the morning uh, I, I know how I, I just relax uh, later on the day when bringing back my daughter or whatever mm -hmm. finding ways to make it simple doing our style yeah um, seeing a few friends not so many because anyway <laughs> you, you have time, <laughs> no time. Uh, yeah finding your own it's, balance it's and because you have a complicated professional daytime right and sometimes nighttime <laughs> yeah 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 but try to manage also on the on and that's that's the second last question i wanted to ask you was is that difficult thing to engineer because i imagine as a startup entrepreneur you're always thinking you could be doing more you know you know there's more to be done of course always and i think a lot of people think well i could always be doing more and you of course you have a, a wife and a, you have a family right so is it is it challenging to be kind of like military and carving out that time so that your personal life is more or less unaffected by the crazy startup you know world that you've gotten yourself into no it is obviously affected because your mind even if you're with if you're at home you're thinking about, still, it, right? thinking about yeah. business but um no but you have to make some some decision and some and, and obviously uh, you cannot do it uh, so you should find the time also for 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 this balance right. uh, and yeah i think then it's it's kind of a routine and you know uh for instance on the weekend you're gonna try to get at least uh, whatever half days uh with family right. and, and you're gonna avoid and skip some 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 maybe outing or invitation that come up because you want to make sure that you you do a few sure. things also either for work because otherwise you won't feel good right? yeah yeah yeah, I imagine it, it, it takes some, some tinkering with to find that balance between, you know, not burning out and maintaining that personal and family life, but also giving the business everything you can. You know, mm -hmm. I, I imagine that's a really tricky balance and probably one that you never perfect, but you're always kind of working on. You need to work on it, exactly. Um, last question. I know you've, speaking of work, I know you've got to get back to it. Uh, where is CareVoice or the CareVoice in five years? What do you see for it? Can you paint us a, a picture? Um, I think we're, we are going to be this uh, reference platform where people uh, will go to when they have a health problem or they have a needs of, of finding services to stay healthy uh, because we help people to be more uh, confident about those options. Um, and we'll be here as a reference in China, but I think in, a, in other, at least, uh, Asian market. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, Sebastian, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Was there any any information URL you can send out for people that want to get in touch with the CareVoice email URL, Twitter, any of that stuff? 
uh, if you have yeah, an interface, I can I, I, I share obviously, but, but the easiest is either through my LinkedIn, mm -hmm. um, Sebastian Godin, uh, G-A-U-D-I-N. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's easy to, to, to see more information about the, the company or to reach me out. Cool. And we'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. And for us guys, as you know, it's techinshanghai.com or twitter.com forward slash techinshanghai. And all the episodes are now available on YouTube as well, so you can search for us there. That's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.